Welcome to the Voice of Family Business on Capitol Hill. It's great to have you with us. With each podcast from Family Enterprise USA, we bring you the latest news, expert opinions, and insights affecting the country's largest employer, the American family business. If you like this series, please remember to subscribe and sign up for alerts as future shows are posted. This podcast is sponsored by Preston Root, a Family Enterprise USA member, board member, and longtime supporter. In this episode, we bring you a timely discussion between Family Enterprise USA's Pat Soldano and Congressional Leader Representative Claudia Tenney, a co-chair of the new Congressional Family Business Caucus. Now, let's listen in on what these experts have to say about the Family Business Caucus and the direction Congress is headed this year. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Pat Soldano, President of Family Enterprise USA and Policy and Taxation Group. If you don't know who we are, we advocate for multi-generational family businesses and their lifetimes of savings and investments in their businesses around the country, from all industries, big and small, all sizes, all industries. Today, we're asking the question, with the formation of the new Congress and a new Congressional Family Business Caucus, are we going to see real change that relates to policy and actions affecting our largest private sector employer, and that is American family business? I'm delighted to be here with you today with one of the co-chairs of the newly formed Congressional Family Business Caucus, Representative Claudia Tenney. Claudia Tenney represents the New York District 24, a congressional district, an expansive area in upper New York State. She also has personal connection to family-owned businesses, having served as a co-owner and legal counsel to a commercial printing and manufacturing firm started by her grandfather in 1946. She's a member of the Powerful Ways and Means Committee, as well as the House Science, Space, and Technology Committee. Welcome, Representative Tenney. Thank you so much, Pat. It's an honor to be on. And thank you for recognizing the importance of of this caucus and why it's so important to our communities in upstate New York and across the country. Because as you pointed out in your opening remarks, uh, the large majority of economy that drives this nation come from smaller family-owned businesses or even larger family-owned businesses, but that's how they get their start. And so uh, for me, I've been involved in our family business since I was 16, actually 14, but I didn't get paid till I was 16. But uh, our business was founded, as you say, by my grandfather in 1946. And basically, it was it, at the time, it was under one house. It was uh, a printing division uh, where we did all kinds of pharmaceutical printing, packaging. We uh, serve the agricultural sector with a lot of their packaging and boxing needs in upstate New York, which is a huge part of the upstate New York economy. We also were the printer to Colgate University, uh, where our business was founded in Hamilton, New York. And we also had uh, a newspaper. So we, my grandfather put together three different newspapers dating back to 1820, uh, one of the older ones, and created the, what was known as the Mid-York Weekly, and until September 15th of 2022, I believe was the oldest continuously running weekly newspaper in the United States. So unfortunately, we sold that division in 2004, and we actually thought about saving it. But so I come uh, to this uh, position as a member of Congress, formerly as a business owner, also as a lawyer and a partner in my law firm representing our, our company as legal counsel. And, uh, and now as a member of Congress, just seeing how the policy enacted. And I was also uh, a member of the state legislature in, in the assembly in New York and fighting for really the reason I ran was because I wanted to help our small business community, who are our biggest customers. I was the CEO of the newspaper division before we sold it in 2004. And I could see what 
crushing regulations, really regulations that didn't apply to the smaller business communities. You know, big box stores coming in and displacing the smaller businesses who are our biggest customer base. And also just the, the personal taxes and, and a lot of us and a lot of these businesses being pass-throughs. And uh, so much of the problem that was coming from Albany and Washington and affecting our businesses and also serving a huge farm community. Our original uh, newspaper, besides the Midwork Weekly, was something called the Farm and Home Penny Saver. And it was for our farm community. And uh, we served our agricultural friends, too. But it kind of grew into even more than that. I, I took the helm in the mid-90s and until we sold it in 2004, which is when I, I like to say I took my wrong turn into politics. So that's a little bit about our business, but I'm still the trustee of my mother's uh, estate. So my mother's estate kind of is the largest uh, shareholder of the of the business. I can't directly have any holdings uh, where, except for, you know, under the congressional laws, other than being in a trustee situation. So uh, I get to work for free. Well, that's awesome. And you just answered the first two questions I was going to ask you, which was to explain <laughs> the family business and also you know, family businesses in America and, and how do they impact the economy. But let's talk about how important they are. You've explained that a little bit, but how do you see them kind of driving our economy? And you are very passionate about them, as you just stated. What do you see their challenges and concerns are going forward? Well, first of all, there's so many problems. I think on a less specific policy issue, uh, but on a general issue that I think tends to be where the policy uh, gets wrong is that there's this conception, and it's a misconception. I learned this when I got to Albany, and I see it's carried on into Washington with many people who are elected to office who have never actually run a family business or run a small enterprise and understand how critical the relationship is between employers and employees, and even more important in a family business that employs people and how much the people who work for you are precious. They do the work. They become part of our family. Uh, we do everything we can to support them, to try to compete against government in some of these areas where sometimes the school district, the local governments, and even the, the state and county governments, and particularly in New York State, can offer so many benefits that the family business can't offer. You know, a pension, uh, non-contributory in many cases, health care that is substantially less expensive than what we can offer as a family business. So I think that there's this presumption that somehow because somebody engages in a business or especially in upstate New York where it's very you know rural and suburban, somehow there's this hostility between employees and their employer. And that's just not the case. And, uh, and I think that almost every family business will tell you that's a frustration when you see some of these groups coming out and attacking the business owner who work many, many hours, uh, put their own money in, often don't get paid, which describes you know, our situation with our business many times, takes the risk of taking out the loans, coming up with a new idea, taking a risk, sometimes not maybe being successful, taking the fall for it, but always making their payroll, always trying to keep up with the regulations coming from all sides, state, federal, local, EPA, DEC, you know, Department of Energy, uh, Environmental Conservation that is in New York. So, you know, all these things are happening. And meanwhile, you're trying to run a business and you're trying to put out, usually it comes from a great brainchild. Let's do a great product. And the product becomes something that that drives the rest of the business. And you want to do a great job. And everyone's striving for excellence and everyone's striving to do well and have profits and have large sales and have a good uh, relationship with your employees and also a good 
feeling about the, the product and, and who we work for and, and can giving to our community, which is a huge part of most family businesses. You know, I, I, I know Walmart was a family business and still is, but when Walmart gives a thousand dollars to a community, you know, that's just a drop in the bucket with their profits. When a business like mine gives a thousand dollars, that's like literally a lot of money for us. We, it could, it actually could put us in the red just for that week or even that month because we want to help and give to our community. So I think a lot of, there's a lot lost in translation when people in government assume that every business is, you know, just some mega business when really these small businesses make up the majority of my district, certainly, and over 60% or 70%, I believe you might have that data more than I do across the country. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. So what we have learned is, you know, 59% of the jobs in this country are generated by family businesses and 54% of the GDP and I'm so glad you brought up wages and benefits because 46% of family businesses actually pay better than non-family businesses, not only in terms of salaries, but benefits. And generations, as you also talked about, of employees, 60% of them have more than one generation of a family working in their business. So that, as you said, they plan their business as a legacy, right? They plan it for the long term. They don't worry about quarter to quarter returns. And that's why during the pandemic, 90% of them kept their employees employed because they could do that because they have this long-term vision. So I'm also was really pleased to hear about the community giving because we've learned that 79% of them give locally. So either to a local chapter of the national charity, but more often enough directly to those local charities. And so that's really important because as you talked about it, the family business that giving goes away, it's not only for the family business owners and the employees, but also the community. So this caucus, as you well know, being a co-chair, is an education caucus, not a policy caucus. It is a bipartisan caucus. We think it's really important, as you've talked about, that people understand, members of Congress, voters, media, understand what family business is all about. And that's the purpose of it. That's why we're asking family business owners to come to D.C. and tell their story. So I'm sure in your district, you've probably heard a lot of stories and met with family business owners. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and maybe what are their top economic and tax concerns, if, if you're aware of those? Yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, uh, I have visited hundreds of family businesses between my uh, former district that I represented, the old New York 22, and then now my current district, New York 24, which is even more family business oriented and even more agricultural. So New York 24 is now the largest agricultural district in the Northeast and the largest dairy district in the Northeast. Not to mention the fact that I just left the bicentennial celebration for Wayne County, which is the number three apple producing county in the entire nation. Only wow. two counties in the state of Washington surpassed the apple production of Wayne County. So it's an exciting legacy. And my district also has the Erie Canal. So we have all these different legacy businesses so many of them, generations of people that started their business. And I go and visit them all the time. It's my favorite thing to do is visit, whether it's a, an agricultural or farm business. We have everything. We have the Finger Lakes wine region, which is you know burgeoning and growing and getting better and better. Uh, we have crops. We have beef. We have dairy, number one dairy, as they said, the apple producers. Uh, we have craft breweries. We have yogurt, which is really a big part of our dairy operations. So a lot is happening in upstate New York. And no one thinks of New York as ag. They think of New York City and they don't realize we have tremendous, abundant, fresh, clean water. And we also have great soil conditions. 
Our disadvantage is that we have a very short growing season and we have a hostile government in Albany that doesn't understand when you set one size fit all big taxes, big regulations, you really drown out, you know, the small family business and the ones that can compete. And, you know, you mentioned the pandemic. We lost a lot of businesses to the pandemic because they didn't have the economies of scale. They didn't have the resources and they couldn't get the workforce to actually do the job. Now, I'm a huge advocate, for example, of family leave. That's one issue. And I'll get into the taxes, too. And New York has mandatory family leave and they don't do a bad job with their family leave because it's it's not a bad program. We are 100 percent for family leave. In fact, we were doing our own form before it was mandated for on us. Not to mention we had our own healthcare system before it was mandated. We provided that to our employees, even though it wasn't required. We also had a 401k. We had optional benefits. We had a tremendous programs we could uh, provide to our employees before some of these things were mandated. But under the family leave program, which I saw as, as something that would could be potentially a problem, is that when you're running a business that's small and you lose a couple of key people, you know, we don't mind giving them the family leave and the time off, but we don't have anyone that can take their place. So it's not like you can just go get a temp and find a temp to get in place. And if you drive through upstate New York, and I've heard this from friends of mine uh, on both sides of the aisle across the United States, family businesses, all businesses are struggling to get employees. So we have a problem getting people to come to work. And our unique problem is a family business and a small business is trying to be competitive with what the big stores can provide and what the big operations can provide that we can't. And they can survive and be much more nimble in, in crises like, uh, for example, the pandemic. But a couple of things that I think were really important that I fought for, first of all, in the state legislature, you know, I could see this personal income tax was a huge problem. Uh, we have entities that are pass-throughs. One of our, our businesses is a pass-through. So each one of my siblings and I have to go use the, the pass-through. And most businesses do that, especially a lot of the farms in upstate New York. It's become a, a better way of trying to make uh, your business more profitable and also, you know, to bring it home. Uh, one of the things that I introduced was to try to gradually phase out the personal income tax in New York, which would be very popular. In fact, if we had that done that, the state and local tax deduction cap wouldn't be such a big issue in New York. We'd be just like Florida. We would be a destination. We would be bringing people back to our our great uh, state. And that was something that I tried. But of course, you know, nobody wanted to see that done with Albany uh, progressives and people who like to tax. And uh, I even attached it to the personal income tax bonds. As they were retired, we would gradually phase out the personal income tax. So I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't successful. So when I got to Washington, when we got to pass the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, it wasn't everything that I wanted, but as you may remember, we did this through what they call reconciliation. So we could only do it through a, a limited amount of money total for the bill, you know, in terms of the, the total impact. And we had to do it through a narrow margin in the Senate. So uh, we had to do some give and take and make some sacrifices. But there were many good things in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that helped small businesses. And when I when that bell, bill was passed, I, did, I went on a small business, family business tour, and every single business I went to was so thrilled about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the 20% forgiveness and the deduction on income passed through, um, all of the other uh, benefits and lowering taxes. And 95% of the people in my district at the time, so I don't know the new 24, but it's similar, don't itemize, but 95% got a tax cut. So only the wealthiest actually had to pay taxes. And our small businesses, for the first time, uh, and I'll quote one of my smaller businesses, said the first time in 30 years, we got a break from New York from, from someone, not New York State, 
but from the federal side, we're reinvesting, we're raising our payroll, we're giving uh, more benefits out, we're investing in the company. So it was a tremendous uh, boon to our our, uh, family businesses. We just want to make them permanent. And I want to bring Democrats up to my district to tour some of our districts so you can see how hard it is to operate in one of the least friendly business states in the country and be up against the progressive agenda in Albany and try to run a small business, whether it's a family farm or a small retail operation or even a small manufacturing company that we have. And so I'd love to see them in action, see what happens when laws get passed and what the consequences are. And they can come and see all the shuttered buildings and shuttered storefronts that we have all across our region because of some of the policies in Albany. So the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, making all those provisions permanent that benefited uh, small businesses would be ideal. So that's one of the things we're advocating for. But as you said, Pat, this is about education. I would love to bring some of my my colleagues, especially on the other side of the aisle, that might not understand what the tax cut implications are, but how it really helps a farmer or how it really helps bring new people onto a job or how you can reinvest in your healthcare plan or your 401k plan or even have an employee stock option plan. I visited a small business, a kind of a regional business the other day that has an ESOP that is working really well and the, and the employees love the buy-in and, and, it, and it helps uh, bring in a great morale to the business as well. All these things are made possible by good policy and recognizing that it's about it's about business and taxes and, and, and keeping those low so good people can reinvest in their employees in their mission and in, and in making prosperity happen again for our communities. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up of the, around the income tax and the pass-throughs. As we've learned, 80% of our family businesses operate as a pass-through entity. So they are still paying that 37 plus percent, whereas corporate America is paying 21%. So we would love to see some changes in that. And our annual survey that we do every year show that is their number one tax concern, and it's higher than it was last year. So I realize that this Congressional Family Business Caucus is not a policy caucus. It's an education caucus. But is there anything that we can do to educate members of Congress that family business owners can do to help to understand this burden of income tax and maybe influence policy in some way? Yeah, well, as you say, education and the most important people we need to educate now are the legislators. We know the family business owners understand this. And I think to get the legislators to see in real life what actually happens in a business and that the mission is is, is about creating growth. And if we're going to get out of the fiscal stress that we are seeing in this nation and what we've had to recover from after the pandemic, it's going to have to be growth. And growth means lower taxes, greater investment. And I'd love to see them show that it isn't about being greedy and having profits, because if they could see what the businesses did in my communities that I visited and how it was, it didn't translate into increased uh, payroll for the owners. What it did was increased investment into the business. And all of the and all of the employers that we spoke with actually gave raises to their employees because they wanted to. And that sometimes these mandatory minimum wages and forced wages end up causing what they call compression. So, you know, you move the lowest people up and you cause uh, the people that are already at a certain level to go even higher. And that makes you less competitive, especially when you're bidding and when you're working against states. For example, New York State is uh, is right now at almost a $15 minimum wage, it's $14.20 in upstate. But if you go 40 minutes from where my family business is located, 
Pennsylvania has a mandatory federal minimum wage of $7.50. So when the farmers are competing and the people who service the farmers and our businesses competing with Pennsylvania businesses, they're creating an incentive for us to just cross over the line to be more competitive. And yet we want our employees to have a high wage. We want them to feel good about their jobs and feel productive and feel like they can feed their families. And we do so much to add to the atmosphere uh, and the and the comfort for our employees and enjoying coming to work, being challenged, being successful, achieving excellence, having great returns, being part of, of the business. And I think nine, 99% of the business owners, I, I was going to say nine out of 10, I would say it's 99% feel the same way. And they you don't get success if you don't invest in your employees and invest in, in good morale in, in your operation. And you know, it goes the same with farms. I mean, happy cows produce more milk. And those are, you know, happy employees who are uh, loving their job and, and, and innovating and feeling inspired are also making more money. And that's why we provide all these benefits. I'd love to see employers see this, or I mean, legislators see this in action, come to places like mine, see small businesses who are struggling against mandates and regulations from Albany and Washington, and why giving them a break doesn't turn out to exploit a worker, but actually gives a worker empowerment and advancement. And I think that if they see that, uh, what's happening, I think that they would be more compelled to do that, or at least to carve out some kind of exemption for our family-owned and small-owned businesses, or give them incentives to do more to help their employees or to or to be uh, productive. So I, I think there's ways that we can do this, but until we get reasonable on our on our taxes and on our regulations. Um, you're going to continue to see this. What, what I think is sad is the consolidation of businesses, less entrepreneurship, less innovation, and more of this big business uh, that, that you really can't control and you really don't get the innovation that you could get with a smaller business. Well, I think that's a great suggestion. Having legislators come and visit those family businesses is so important. I always in, encourage our family business owners to do that. So I really want to thank you today. It's been a real pleasure uh, with so much going on. I know you have a lot on your plate. This has really been fascinating, especially for me personally. I know our family business listeners have learned a lot and will be looking forward to having you back again at the Family Business Caucus. So thank you once again for joining us today. Thank you so much, Pat. And I hope that you can accompany us or some of your uh, membership would like to actually host some of us as we come and, and learn more about the family business dynamic and why it's so important to uh, the future of America and the future of prosperity for our country. And uh, we just appreciate all the efforts that that your group goes through to try to make the get make the educational portion of this actually reality. And I get you're not policy, but if our legislators were learning, I think that you would see better policy. And that's really the key to what uh, your success will be and our success as well. So thanks totally so much. Agree. I appreciate having the time. Yeah, you're absolutely welcome. Totally agree with everything you just said. Um, so we hope you liked today's show and we hope you subscribe to our podcast where each episode discusses the critical issues affecting multi-generational family businesses around the country. You can find this podcast wherever you download your podcast. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this week's Family Enterprise USA podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Inolex. This is the only series devoted exclusively to the critical issues facing America's family businesses, the families that own them, and family offices. We hope you like this week's show. Please make sure to subscribe and tell others about our podcast. Your voice in Washington, D.C. and throughout the country can make a difference. We look forward to having you listen to us next time.